Well, we're getting close to Christmas, aren't we? How many of you have absolutely no Christmas shopping done whatsoever? Great, there'll be a field trip tomorrow for those of us. Hey, can we be honest today? Let's just be honest. Honesty is always a, a good thing in any church service. How many of us, when you were a kid, or even since we got our children in here with us today, how many of you, when you were a child, or currently, your present counters? You know what the present counter is, right? That's the person that when nobody's around, you go to the Christmas tree and you count all the presents to see if you have just as many as everybody else. Now that you understand what a present counter is, how many of you closet present counters are there out there? Yes? Very good. Chris Fowler is raising both hands. It's great. Now, how many of you are type A and, and you're a little you know, um, OCB about this thing, a little obsessive compulsive, and you not only count them, but you start grouping them, all of yours here, all of your brothers here, moms here. How many of you do that? Yeah, we have therapy for you wonderful folks. I'll be honest, I was a present counter, man. I would, uh, I would count them, and honestly, there was a part of me, and I'm sure there was a part of you, wasn't there, amen, if this is just so I don't feel like the only selfish person here. Isn't there a part of you that when you count the presents under the Christmas tree, you're just going, please, just give me one more than anybody else. <laughs> amen? Amen? <laughs> amen? Because see, what that communicated to me was, man, mom loves me more than my crazy brothers, you know? And man, just to have that extra gift under the tree, I didn't care if it was a lifesaver wrapped up, man. Just to have one extra was to be able to one-up my brother. And it's great when you get a gift and you know it's your gift because of that two-from thing on the present. You know what I mean? That, that little sticker from Hallmark, Walmart, Ripoff Mart, or whoever did, you know, whoever thought of that, you know, thought it must have been a great idea. You know, it's just the little sticker goes up there by the bow, and it says to and from, right? Well, we're past that day in our house. We just get a Sharpie and go to you from me, you know, to you from me, and that way I always end up with more presents than anybody else. Nobody knows. See, here's the thing. Turn to Psalm 22. It's a great psalm. And, and honestly, this psalm is associated with Easter and really not Christmas. There's several bits of prophecy that was filled at the death of Christ on the cross. And we have, we'll save that for another time. But what I do want you to see in this is just a simple, profound, theological truth from God's most holy word. And this simple, profound, theological truth comes in verse 10. But first, a bit about the psalm. This psalm, as we believe David wrote it, at a time when his life was in serious hurt. Life had not been as David anticipated it to be. When he was just a kid, and probably about 14, 15 years old, 
Samuel came and anointed David as king. And I mean, I'm talking when you're anointed king by the prophet, man, that is like sealed in stone. And so David, I'm sure, just had just visions of grandeur about the rest of his life, that there would be no problems, there would be no issues, there would be no turmoil, there would just be no mess. You know what I'm saying? Just no stuff. I mean, dude, if you're king, you got no bills to pay. That's a cool thing. People pay you in taxes. Wow, what a deal. I'm sure he had this whole thing. You live in a palace, you have people who wait on you. I would imagine he thought life was pretty good. And going to be great. The problem with life is it rarely works out like we anticipate it to, doesn't it? Expectations seldom measure up to reality. And when that happens, man, we feel alone, we feel abandoned, we feel hurt, we feel disillusioned. When expectations don't measure up to reality, a lot of things come into play. And David's heart, can you hear it in verse 1? And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, and you answer, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. Since we've already confessed about the present thing and the grouping of the presence, how many of you have ever felt that way? You thought life or marriage or the kids was going to be this and it was kind of this. You, you thought work was going to be this. And it was this. You thought family was going to be this. But it was this. You, you, you thought faith was going to be this. And somehow your expectations and reality just haven't matched up. And when those things happen, man, you feel this time of abandonment and aloneness and, and really hopelessness. It's here that the psalmster David makes a choice. You can either whine and complain, or you can choose the alternative. David chose the alternative. Look at verse 3. He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. By the way, there was no answer between verse 2 and verse 3. He was just as helpless and alone in verse 3 as he was in verse 2. The cry of his heart didn't change from the verse. He just simply made a choice. He says, you know what? Life isn't what I expected it to be, but I am still going to praise my God. Look at verse 4. It says, in your fathers, we put our trust. Verse 5, they cried to you and were saved. If you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But then you come to verse 10. And I want to read it, and, and you're probably going to read it and go, okay, move on. Let me read it. Because here's where a little bit of Christmas comes in. From birth, not Christ's birth, but our birth, David says, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. See that little phrase, you have been my God? If you were to translate those Hebrew words into a very literal translation, it would be three words or four words. 
to you, or I'm sorry, to me, from you. That's how you would translate it. To me, from you. David says, to me, you've given many wonderful gifts, and they've all come from you. To me, you have blessed me. To me, you have watched over me. To me, you have been my my strength, and they have all come from you. To me, from you. Now, I don't know about you, but that is pretty profound theology right there. It has everything to do with big theological words like God's providence and God's omnipotence and God's omniscience. It has things to do with simple words that we understand, love and care and tenderness. To me, from you. See, David was simply saying that it is a gift that God gives And God has given us wonderful gifts, man. In a matter of days now, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And it was a wonderful gift to the world. And the the Bible says that the angels declared this wonderful gift to the shepherds. And the shepherds went poor as they were, destitute as they were, hopeless as they were. They went to the manger. They went to the stable. And there they saw Christ. And then the end of that text tells us that they went and told everybody about the good news of Jesus. The wise men came. What a gift. God gave them a star. They were pagans. They had no idea about the truth of God or his word. Maybe there was some leftover Old Testament manuscripts from the Babylonian captivity days 400 years prior to this spotting of the star and these Zoroasters, these mathematicians and astrologists or astronomers. Well, I guess they were part astrologists as well, but they would look to the stars and they noticed an unusual star. And God gave... A star. And so God said, to you, from me. God's given you something very special this morning. He's given you an opportunity to do two things. One is to praise him. One is to give him glory and sing honor because we are, not the, we are not the Davids in Psalm 22. We are not looking for the light that has come. We now can embrace that light in all of its glory and all of its brilliance and in all of its splendor because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come and he lives and he lives in our hearts. And so if you're here today, man, the the gift you need to put on instead of saying, and I lost my bow. And the, the gift you need to do is say, God, to you from me today is my praise. I'll just have to do this. God, to you from me today is my praise. I'm going to worship you. I am going to engage. I'm going to think. I'm going to choose to remember But there's some of you here today, you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you see, God's got a little tag on the present. He he put from Jesus, he went to you from me. 
John 3.16 really explains that whole to you from me theology pretty well. And when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you see, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you need to give Jesus a gift too. But the gift you need to give him to Jesus from you is your heart. You say, now pastor, I hear about giving Jesus Christ my heart all the time. And, and honestly, I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I provide for my family. I'm a, I'm a good wife and mom for my kids. Isn't that good enough? Well, the Bible nowhere in this book says you can be good enough to get into heaven. In other words, you can't do enough good things to get into heaven. But the one who was totally good came and died for your sins so that you could go to heaven. You see, it really kind of works like this. If you want to present yourself to Jesus Christ, if you want to become a Christ follower, you have to believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God <coughs> and the savior of the world. And that he died on the cross, that he was born of a virgin Mary, died on the cross, and on the third day rose again to prove ultimately to you and to me that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. It goes beyond believing that he's a good man. It goes beyond believing that he's a good prophet. It goes beyond believing that he's a good person. No, it is embracing Jesus as the Son of God. then you have to accept his payment for your sins. You see, Christmas is really more about the cross of Easter than it is the manger in Bethlehem. Because the whole purpose of his coming wasn't so that we could be moved by, by the cuteness and the, and the warm fuzzy of a little baby. And I love babies. I feel it's my responsibility if you have them to wake them up before they leave here. Amen. Here's the thing. You have sinned against God, and God knows that you don't have enough money, enough goodness, enough of anything to cover that debt of your sin. So he said, you know what? I got you back. I got it covered. I'll give my son. He'll come, live, show you what I'm like. He'll walk among you, and then he'll die on a cross so that you can have eternal life. All you have to do is accept his payment for your sins. Then you have to switch to God's plan for your life. Listen, salvation isn't the end point of the journey. It's the beginning point of the journey. It's not, okay, I'm a Christian, good, I'm going to heaven, that's enough. No. God's got this wonderful plan for your life. And then that leads us to the final thing. You express your desire to make Jesus the Lord and the CEO of your life. See, the greatest thing you can do this Christmas is not even come and present your offerings to Jesus or not even open presents under your tree. But the greatest thing you can do, if you're a believer here today, truly worship him in this Christmas season. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer, man, take the bow, put that little right taggy thing and go to Jesus from me. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? How do I do all of that? How do I give Christ my heart? It's very simple. It, it begins. It doesn't end, but it begins 
with a prayer. And the prayer goes something like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I want to live for you. I'm sorry for ignoring you all of these years, but I want you to have the rest of my life. And Jesus, today, that's my gift to you from me. Just put an amen. Now just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I am really big on if Jesus Christ is coming to your heart, you need to tell it. Sometimes we do it by having an altar call and people come forward and make that declaration of faith public. Sometimes we do it just like we do are going to do right now. That if you accepted, if you prayed that prayer just now, if you prayed that prayer just now and accepted Christ into your heart, presented your heart to Jesus from you, nobody's looking around. I promise I'm not tricking you or going to embarrass you. But if you prayed that prayer, would you tell it? Would you tell it right now by simply just raising your hand where you're at? Nobody's looking around. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation. Thankful that we are here today to experience new birth and new life and forgiveness of sin. Thank you for that one that put to Jesus for me. Here's my heart. I give it to you. Lord, we praise you and we honor you because you are the Son of the Most High. Most high God.